Dear friends in Jesus, there's a stop sign that's been having a really hard time lately. Like an actual stop sign, you know, the red sign that says stop on it. The stop sign that's been going through a really difficult time. There's a real stop sign in the state of Maine that has been run over, it's been crashed into over 130 times. It's gotten so bad, it's even made it on the news. Right? This, this poor sign. Can you guess where the stop sign is located? In a Walmart parking lot. Right? Maybe, no surprise, right? But still, it's, it's hard to imagine this. 130 times a car has crashed into the stop sign. The, the police chief of this small town tries to explain it. He's, he's convinced that there's some kind of a gravitational force in that exact place that just makes cars veer and hit this sign and can you imagine being that sign? 130 different times having a car crash into you. It's just that I bet you know what that's like. I bet you know the feeling of just having everything keep crashing into you. Do you ever have thoughts that go like this? If something wrong is going to happen to somebody, it's going to happen to, to me. If somebody's going to get hurt, I know who it is. It's going to be it's going to be me. Do you ever look around at all the other stop signs and you wonder, why don't they ever get run over sometimes? Why does it always have to happen to me? Do you have those frustrations in your life? There's a song for that in the Bible. It's Psalm 73. If you ever find yourself complaining to God about all the frustrations of life, then you've got nothing on a man named Asaph. Let's start reading what he wrote. I, l- I like having us read it all together. Let- let's read. It's, it's going to be a long section, but verses 1 through 12. Here's what Asaph writes. Let's read that together. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths, they claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of sin, they go on amassing wealth. Let's, let's stop there. I appreciate how honest the Bible is. If you ever go to God with your complaints and your frustrations, you're not the only one. Asaph does, and his complaints actually made it into the Bible. And he doesn't hold anything back. He says, As for me, my feet had almost slipped, I had nearly lost my foothold. He was so frustrated with God and with how God was letting his life go that he was about to completely fall away from God. 
What was the problem? Here's what he says. Verse 3, I, I, I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. The problem was that wicked people have it so good. Bad things happen to good people and good things always seem to happen to bad people and it's just downright wrong. It's frustrating. Asaph puts together this whole list. The the wicked people, they they never seem to get sick. They never seem to have to worry about anything. It seems like they always have everything they want. And they mistreat people. They hurt people. They're arrogant. And yet, everybody praises them. And everybody loves them. And everybody follows them. And it's frustrating. He says, verse 12, This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care, they go on amassing wealth. You ever notice that? Yes, why is it that I'm struggling to pay my bills? And they have a mansion on the beach. How does that make sense? Why is it that a Christian man dies suddenly from a stroke, but that guy lives to be 100 years old? Why is it that no one pays attention to me, and yet everybody praises her? Do you know how she lives? Why is it that a a little boy gets cancer, and those people are healthy and strong? Isn't it frustrating? I wonder if this psalm is what Christians in Malawi are reading today. Have you heard about what's happened in Malawi? It's been a terrible cyclone that's hit Malawi, country in Africa. There's been so much rain and flooding that it's completely washed whole villages away. They've found hundreds of people already known to have died. There's thousands of people who the little that they had to begin with, they've lost it all. Of course, it doesn't even make it on our news. Who really cares, right? Except Malawi is actually where our our Wisconsin Senate has some of our largest missions. One of the first places that we sent missionaries to a country overseas. And so it's already been been heard that there's, there's lots of Lutherans, there's thousands of Lutherans in the country. Many of them have been impacted by the floods. I just wonder how they look at life. Here you are, you, you have a hut, just a hut. And the storm comes along and washes your hut away and your children in it too. And then you see pictures of people in America. And you hear about how in America everyone is falling away from God at a rapid pace. Can you imagine being a Christian in Malawi and thinking to yourself, here we are, the poor people getting poorer, and all of these people in America falling away from God. This never happens there. They're just getting richer and richer. I bet it would almost make you doubt your faith in God. Sure did for Asaph. Let's read what he says next. Verses 13 and 14, just those two verses. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. Asaph really bears what's on his heart. He brings it out in the open. He says, God, it's not worth it. It's not worth it to believe in you. It's not worth it to sacrifice anything for you. 
This is all in vain. The more good things I do, the more punishments I receive as a result of it. Why should I continue in this? He's ready to throw in the towel. I wonder how many Christians over the last thousands of years have had that same prayer. God, this doesn't make sense. God, it's not worth it. God, in vain have I kept my, my hands pure. But you've been there. Like a stop sign, run over 130 different times. But maybe you picked up as we've gone through these psalms that in the middle of the psalm, something always happens. We're right to the middle of the psalm. We turn the page. We go into the second half. And suddenly in the midst of his frustration, in the midst of all of these complaints, Asaph remembers something. Let's read verses 15 to 20. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by tears. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. In the middle of his frustration, in the middle of all of these complaints, suddenly Asaph remembers something. And did you catch where he was when he remembered it? In the sanctuary of God. If he was going to understand life, Asaph needed to go into the presence of God And here's what he needed to see. He needed to see their final destiny. If life doesn't make sense, when you look at it, it's because what we see isn't all that there is. This life isn't all that there is. There is a final destiny. Asaph needed to see the final destiny, first for the wicked, for people who reject God, who don't believe in Jesus as their Savior. What's the final destiny going to be? It's going to be hell. Asaph describes it. Verses 18 and 19. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. It's absolutely true that it seems like the wrong people succeed in life, that the wrong people get away with everything. But Asaph says, you know, when I stepped into God's presence, then I remembered the final destiny. And that's, that's when life began to make sense. You have a a mansion on the beach, but then you die and go to hell. Is it worth it? If everyone loves you and praises you and, and then you die and you go to hell, is that worth it? If you have perfect health and you get to live to be 100 years old and then you die and go to hell, is that worth it? Now, if we want to make sense of life, if we want to understand God's justice, then we need to go into the presence of God and we need to remember the the final destiny. For the wicked, it's it's hell. But for believers in Jesus, it's, it's heaven. If in your life you have to live day by day just trusting in God's promises and then you die and go to heaven, is it worth it? 
If in your life you spend your time and your treasures serving God and serving others, and there isn't that much left for you at the end, and then you die and go to heaven, is that worth it? If you just live a, a humble, quiet life, trusting in Jesus as your Savior, and then you die and you go to heaven, is it worth it? Yes, when you, when you face those frustrations in life, we need to take our eyes off of just this life. To go in the presence of God, we need to see the final destiny. When Asaph did that, there was something he had to confess. Let's read verses 21 and 22. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. So Asaph, when when he remembers the final destiny, it doesn't just start to make sense in his mind. He, He recognizes there's something that I need to confess. All of those frustrations that he aired against God, all of those complaints, as right as they seemed in the moment, as just as it seemed when they came out of his mouth, he recognized, no, that was all wrong. That was all sin. In fact, what does he call himself? He says, I was just a brute beast. I was just a donkey. Maybe you could use another word in place of that, but I won't. He says, God, I'm an idiot. I've sinned. Forgive my sins. I hope those are words that are constantly on your mind as you talk with God. God, I'm an idiot. I'm sorry. I've sinned. And you know what God does? He has mercy. It's ironic that in this psalm, which has probably the greatest complaint in the whole Bible, it ends with some of the most beautiful verses. Let's read 23 to 26. We'll save the last two for later. But verses 23 to 26. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and and my portion forever. I've always thought these are some of the most beautiful verses in the Bible. It's hard to imagine a greater confession of faith in God. Yet, I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterwards you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. What do you want to say? How do you get faith like that? How do you get confidence like that? Through the struggles. Through the frustrations. Can you see how God uses all of those trials of life to fortify our faith in Jesus? Over and over again, Asaph had to rely on God. Whom else could he turn to? Over and over again, Asaph had to lean on the Lord. What else did he have? Over and over again, Asaph had to go with, to God with nothing. 
And God filled him full and full and full of his grace. To finally, through all of those frustrations and all of those struggles, Asaph realized that nothing could separate him from the love of God. What a blessing all those frustrations are, right? Can your heart of faith say that? What a blessing all of those struggles of life are because they, they tear away everything that our hearts like to trust in. They tear away everything else that our hearts like to rely on and all that's left is God. And God is enough. In fact, God is everything we need. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Let's read Asaph's conclusion. The last two verses, 27 and 28. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Asaph realized there are two things that are absolutely certain. The first is that the wicked will perish. Sometimes we see that happen right here in life. It will always happen in that final destiny. But the other thing that's absolutely certain is that God is with his people. Always in this life. Always in the life to come. And so Asaph went from complaining to proclaiming God's grace to everyone he could. And here's the key. He says, as for me, it is good to be near God. As for me, it is good to be near God. When I read those words, I think about one of Jesus' names. One of Jesus' names is God with us. Do you remember what the name is? Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. It is good to be near God. For God to be near to us, God had to come to us. And that's why we think about that name Emmanuel at Christmas time. That Jesus became one of us. He became a human being to be with us. But, but I hope you realize that, that maybe we shouldn't just think about God with us at Christmas time. That maybe that's the purpose, perfect thing to think about in Lent and Holy Week and Easter. How near did God come to us? I'll just look at the cross. When God came to us, he didn't just kind of put his toe into the pool, see what it was like. He didn't just kind of walk along the beach and look out at all the trouble in the ocean. Jesus jumped in head first. Jesus lived with us. Jesus carried our burdens. And then Jesus carried all of our sins with him to the cross. That's what he did for you and for me to bring us near to God. If, if you can imagine being a stop sign and being run over 130 times, imagine being Jesus and carrying the guilt of every single person in the entire world pressing down on him. And he carried it for us. If you and I have a lot of frustrations and complaints, imagine being Jesus and hearing in his head all of the frustrations and curses and complaints of all of the people of the world and, and carry those for us, for you and for me, so that there could be no doubt in your mind that God is near to you. 
As for me, it is good to be near God. It's ironic as you get to the end of the psalm and it doesn't seem like anything has actually changed in Asaph's life. All of those wicked people, they're still successful. All of those troubles, they're still hitting him. But you know what? It didn't matter. Because he had God. And if he was near God, it meant he had God's strength and God's forgiveness and God's peace. When all the things go wrong and they go wrong for you, when all the wrong people seem to succeed, when you feel like that stop sign knocked over 130 times, remember the final destiny. Remember that there is a song in the Bible for a frustrated heart, and it's this. It is good to be near God. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you, though my flesh and my heart may fail. God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Amen. Let's say a prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, just like Asaph, we so often come to you with our complaints and our frustrations. When we look at life in this world, it sure doesn't seem to be right or just or fair. It seems like the wrong people have success and popularity. It seems like the wrong people face sickness and disaster and struggles. And yet when we come into your presence, we see the final destiny and we begin to understand that this life isn't all there is, that there's hell or heaven waiting for every person on earth. We remember that it's good to be near you, that you sent your son Jesus to take away our sins and open up eternal life for us. Dear Lord, every time those frustrations and complaints come to our hearts and our minds, help us to remember how good it is to be near you. May your strength be what increases our faith even in the difficult times of life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.